The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. We're right now in a uh, series, uh, verse by verse, through the book of Matthew. And so I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 24. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. And uh, if you would, uh, stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, that would be the crowd, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. It's the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Mute me for just a second, please. So Jesus is a brilliant and a captivating teacher. He kind of has an advantage because he is God the Son, right? But during his earthly ministry, he often used these stories called parables to make abstract, multidimensional truths or ideas more concrete to the people. And so when we go back and we think about the kind of I guess, meta theme of the book of Matthew, we, we find that in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew gives this summary or this thesis about what Jesus went about preaching. Jesus taught on a lot of different things, but the summary of what he taught was the gospel of the kingdom. He went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And I want to remind you, because this is so important, the kingdom of God is not necessarily about a place. Uh, It is more about the reign and the rule of God, particularly in our hearts. And so Jesus came to inaugurate God's kingdom upon the earth. And the kingdom right now is already, but not yet. It has been inaugurated through Christ's uh, life and death and resurrection. But how many know he's coming again to consummate that kingdom one day? And oh, I hope it's soon. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so Jesus came to inaugurate God's kingdom. And, And he did that at the expense of his own life. And he has offered us to, uh, for us to come in to this kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. And so those still today who believe in the gospel and become what we like to call real followers of Jesus are brought out of the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. And I hope you today are in the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is multidimensional. And so 
in Matthew 13, Jesus uses actually eight parables to help bring some concrete ideas to this subject of the kingdom. And so today we're looking at the second of those parables, namely the parable of the wheat and the weeds. I like this parable for a couple of reasons. One, it helps us see uh, the end, the consummation of God's kingdom. We, we get a, a glimpse of what's to come. But I think also, uh, it, I think this is very helpful. I, I think it heads, sheds some light on a common question. Namely, why does God allow evil and suffering to exist in the world? Like, I think this is probably a question you and I have all wrestled with. Like, Lord, why, why not just put an end to the evil and the suffering and the bad things in this life. Have you ever asked that question? I think most of us have wrestled with that. I think the parable very helpfully sheds some light on that question. So let me just unpack what's going on here, the, the, the parable itself, and then we're going to get into the explanation. But in the parable, there's this farmer, this master. He, he has a farm, and he sows good wheat in his field, hoping to bring about a good harvest. That's what you do as a farmer. Now, the most basic staple of the diet in, the fir- in first century Palestine was bread. So wheat, it's kind of important. Would you agree? Now, this is so interesting. Ancient farmers would sometimes, actually quite frequently, they would feud with other farmers, right? It's like, this is like Hatfield and McCoys of the first century, Right? So they would feud and a, a neighboring farmer, an enemy, would come in and he would plant purposefully poisonous weeds amongst the wheat to try to mess up the crop. This was so bad that Roman, the Romans had to actually create a law saying that they could not do this. Could you imagine? So this happened all the time. And so in the parable, while the master of the field is sleeping, what happens? His enemy comes in and painstakingly plants these weeds amongst the wheat. So the master has these servants, right? And and, and they come along and they notice as uh, the crop is beginning to sprout, they notice amongst the wheat are what appears to be weeds. And so the servants go to the master and say, Master, listen, we can take care of this for you. We're going to go and we're going to, uh, if you'd like us to, we'll pull up the weeds so that they don't take the nutrients from the wheat. But interestingly, the master tells the servants to leave them until the time of harvest, lest they inadvertently pull up the wheat with the weeds. Are you with me? Now, here's, here's where it gets really cool. If you look at the Greek you will find that the type of weed that the enemy sows in this story is a, is a weed called Zazanian. This is a poisonous weed, and, and here's what's so interesting. Uh, I think I've got a picture. Ella, do I have a picture of that? Hopefully I put it in there. There we go. So you can see, see the dark grains? That would be what the Zazanian look like, and then you have the wheat with the, the white grains. But as they're growing together, the, the, the stalk looks, the, they look very, very similar, right? So it's hard to tell sometimes the wheat um, from the weeds. But the, this is, you know, this weed, though, is very, very poisonous. So you got to be careful. So 
A couple of years ago, my wife uh, planted some uh, rhubarb uh, in the back of our house. I, I love rhubarb pie, and so my wife, you know, she said, I will grow some, and I'll, I'll make you a couple pies, you know, throughout the year or whatever. So <clears throat> last year, though, we didn't do much with the plant. We kind of didn't do much with, you know, the shrubs and the, the garden at all, and so uh, but th- just on Friday, this is so interesting that it happened this week, providentially, I think. But I have a, we have about an acre of land, and in the back of my yard, I have uh, a, a, a detached office. I call it a he shed. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, uh, I was walking, actually, I was studying on Friday out in my office. And I'm walking back, and I noticed that this massive plant where the rhubarb was, it, it's, I mean, it is just it's become massive. It's taken off and it has a red stalk like rhubarb, right? And it looks, I'm thinking, man, I didn't realize rhubarb got this big. And actually it doesn't. So I have this little app on my phone. It's really cool. And uh, you can take a picture of any plant or any animal and it'll tell you with great accuracy what that plant or animal is. And so just for fun, yesterday I went out before I, you know, was going to eat this rhubarb. I thought, hey, I better just take a picture of this uh, as I'm, you know, reading about the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds. And so I, I take a picture and it turns out it is American pokeweed, which is toxic. Every part of the plant is toxic, actually. And so, it, but it's, it's right where Nikki planted the rhubarb. And it's got, it's got the red stem, just like the rhubarb. Folks, she's trying to kill me. <laughs> Help. <laughs> well, that's what's going on here. There's a, the, the wheat and the, the weeds are growing together, but they look very, very similar. So the, the master of the, uh, of the farm, he says, listen, he says to his servants, leave the weeds until the harvest, and then we'll be able to distinguish. The reapers will come in, and they'll separate the wheat from the tares or the weeds. All right? What does this mean? Is Jesus just giving us some agricultural lesson? This would be a great message for FFA, right? Well, the great news is that we don't have to guess at the interpretation because Jesus gives it to us. So go with me to verse 36, if you would. Verse 36. And I'm going to read the interpretation here. Jesus left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, As we've seen throughout the book of Matthew, one of Jesus' favorite uh, titles for himself is Son of Man. Son of Man. And so that's what he uses here. Uh, and, And so very clearly, Jesus is the sower in the parable. All right? 
Then you have the, the sower. He is sowing the seed in his own field. And what is the field? Well, Jesus tells us it is the world. So here's what we see. The field, the world, belongs to the master who is Christ. This is God's world. Now, this might sound uh, contradictory to maybe other texts in the New Testament that actually say that Satan is the ruler of this world. Let me just read you one of these, 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, Paul writes to Corinth, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In that text, it's interesting, isn't it? Paul refers to Satan as the God of this world. Well, what's that mean? Who got it wrong, Paul or Jesus? Neither. What this means is that by and large, Satan is the major influence of the world. If you consider the, the, the world's ideas and philosophies and how many people walk in darkness, it's very clear he's a big influence in the world. But here's what we know. The world still belongs to God. As a matter of fact, the same Paul, writing to the same church in Corinth in another letter, 1 Corinthians 10, 26, Paul quotes Psalm 24, 1, declaring, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So though Satan, hear me well, though Satan is the temporary ruler of this world, friends, it still belongs to the Lord. Satan is on a leash. He has some power, but it is lit to him by God. This is not dualism where you have good and evil and they're just kind of battling it out and, and we don't know who will win. Friends, the victory has already been won. It was won at Calvary. Amen? So Satan is already a defeated foe, but right now in the church age, he still has some influence. The Lord has allowed him to have that. But what power he has has been granted to him by God. And God's plan, hear me. Remember, the field is the world. God's plan is to restore his creation. It is restore his creation. There's a popular belief in Christianity today. And that's that the whole goal of the Christian life is to escape the world. We call it escapism. Friends, that's not it. The end goal is not heaven. Heaven's a beautiful place. And if it's a wonderful place, and if you've had friends and loved ones pass on uh, that are in Christ, that's where they are, I believe. There's some mystery there. We know their bodies are here, but somehow uh, to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. But you go to the book of Revelation to the very end of the story, and it's not about us going to heaven. It's about heaven coming to earth. It's not about us going to be with God, but it's about God longing to be with us in his good creation, which I think is way better news. So you have the, the field that represents God's world. Then you have the seeds. What do the seeds represent? Well, in the parable of the sower, the first parable in Matthew 13, Jesus speaks of the good seed that he is sowing as the gospel of the kingdom. The good news, right? That's the good seed. Well, here, the seed represents the word, or excuse me, the sons of the kingdom. And the way we like to say that, and by the way, daughters would be included in that too, but it's, it's a, we, we like to call those people real followers of Jesus. 
So if you are a real follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ, then you are uh, represented by the good seed in this story. And here's what's so interesting. God has scattered believers throughout the world. That in the midst of this darkness where Satan has so much influence, you and I, remember you go back to Matthew 5, we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're to shine the glory of Christ in the darkness of this world. And here's what's happening in God's kingdom right now. Every time somebody is saved, you're brought into God's kingdom. And God is creating, as it were, a new humanity. If you're in Christ, you're part of this new humanity. Part of this new creation that's being inaugurated. And Christ's plan for us is that we would become, as the wheat of the world, that we would become fruitful plants producing righteousness by the grace of God. What a mission. What a calling. What an opportunity. In Jesus' priestly prayer, and this is found in John 17, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. But in Jesus' prayer, he's praying for his disciples, and he prays these words in verse 15. He says, Father, I do not ask that you take my disciples out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Think about that. Do you ever wonder that why when we're saved that God doesn't just take us on to heaven? Friends, he leads us here very intentionally because we have a mission. So he wants us to be in the world. And some of you have complained because you work with such maybe wicked or evil people. And how would the Lord uh, let me have a job like this? Why in the world would he put me in this place? Because those people need the light of Christ in their lives. They need your influence. We're to be here, but, but we're to be different than the world. We're to be set apart. So we are in the story, the good seed. And then there's the weeds that are sown, which represent the sons of the evil one or Satan. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. Again, the apostle Paul writing, writes these words, talking to Christians there in Ephesus. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That would be the enemy, right? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived, Paul writes, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In the world, hear me. There is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. You're for Christ, you're with Christ, you're in his kingdom, or you're in the kingdom of darkness. You can marvel at Christ if you have not committed your life to him. You're still in the kingdom of darkness. And I'm not saying that people are going around and intentionally like worshiping the devil, but essentially you're doing his bidding. You're in his kingdom, you're in his darkness if you are not in Christ. And so here's what's going on uh, when you think about that you've got the weeds and you've got the wheat. What, what Jesus is telling us is that in the church age, weeds and wheat are growing together. So you see why we have evil and suffering still in the world. And it, the, the answer is it's not yet harvest time. And so weeds and wheat are growing together. And listen to me, the, the goal of the good seed 
is to make converts. That ought to be our goal. But also, don't be mistaken, Satan too has a goal. He desires to sift us as wheat, to make shipwreck of our faith. But thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So in the parable, again, just to remind you that the servants are ready to pull up the weeds before the harvest. But the master won't let them, lest they mistakenly pull up the wheat as well. Have you ever been gardening and you actually didn't pull up like a nice plant thinking that it was a weed? The first century Jews, I want you to, this is kind of the context of what's happening here. The first century Jews, what did they want in a Messiah? They wanted somebody who would come up and pull up the weeds. They were tired of being under the tyranny of of Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and uh, now Rome. So what they were looking for is not a Messiah who would come and lay down his life for sinners, but one who would run over and obliterate their enemies. That's what they wanted. Interesting passage in Luke 9, 54, James and John are walking with Jesus and uh, they witness some Samaritans who have denied Jesus. They're unbelievers. And James and John, thinking that they're doing a good thing, turn to Jesus and say, hey, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? How does Jesus respond? He rebukes them. You know, I don't think I can say this strongly enough. The church age is for evangelism, not for judgment. Yes, the the world needs to be convicted of sin, I get that, but when we take violent judgment, like revolt upon ourselves as a church, it never ends well. I want you to just think about how many were killed in the name of the Prince of Peace during the Crusades of the Middle Ages. How many Christians were killed then who were deemed heretics? Consider the Reformation and the response to it where thousands of true believers were brutally murdered because the Roman Catholic Church wanted them to submit to their dogma and erroneous teachings. And they did what they did and killed many multitudes of Christians in the name of the Lord, erroneously. It's still a problem today, isn't it? Some of you have wanted to call down fire from heaven on the political party that doesn't line up with you. And you've done it with your words. It's not the time for judgment. I'm not saying politics aren't important. They are. But we want, to, we want God to wipe out those who don't agree with us and line up with us politically or morally or what have you. Friends, the church age is the age of evangelism, not of judgment. So right now, that means that we're going to have to get used to being with the weeds, with the ungodly, with the sons of darkness. But Jesus closes out the parable with great hope for us that the harvest is coming. Harvest time is coming, amen? So let me just read Matthew 13, 38 through 43 again. I'm going to start... Where it talks about the harvest here. Jesus says the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire. So will it be at the end of the age. 
the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Strong words. Anybody uncomfortable? Why would the Lord delay returning, putting an end to this age? The answer seems to be that the harvest is not ready and that God is abundantly patient. Let me just read you a text from 2 Peter chapter 3. Christians are already questioning in the first century, God, why haven't, Jesus, why haven't you returned yet? I want you to listen to Peter's answer. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but listen, he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Perhaps some of you in this room, he's given you another day by his grace, but that each of you should come to repentance. But... The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done with it will be exposed. Friends, the end of the age is coming. The consummation of God's king, kingdom is coming. The wicked in that day will be judged. Injustices will be set right. God's people will be vindicated. Those who mocked us, those who persecuted us, friends, in the end, we will be vindicated. And evil will be done away with. Every tear wiped from our eyes. Amen? So I, wanna, I want you to think biblically about something here before I close. There's this idea that has pervaded the American church, uh, which did not start even being a thing until the mid-19th century, and it's this idea of Christians secretly disappearing uh, when the Lord returns before some literal seven-year tribulation period. I call it the what? The rapture, right? Now, that is what this denomination believes. Assemblies of God, that's what they believe. Uh, that's what 65% of evangelical Christians believe in uh, America, in the West. Or, all right? So if you believe that, you're in good company. There's people who are a lot smarter than I am that, that believe that very thing. And I held to that view for many years. I was in my graduate studies. I started just looking at the text and we looked at historical theology. What has the church always believed? And we just, we try to rip off those preconceived ideas. And I thought, I just don't see this rapture in the Bible. So I just want to, I want to point something out in our text let me ask you a question. When the end of the age comes, when Jesus returns, do you want to be taken or do you want to be left? How many want to be taken? All right, raise your hand. How many want to be taken? Okay. How many want to be left? Okay. How many of you are afraid to answer? <laughs> All right. So just think about the context of our text, or of, of our passage. Jesus is talking about the end of the age. And he says the Lord will send his angels to take out the righteous or the 
Who's he taking out first? The righteous or the wicked? The wicked. He's going to pull the weeds and have them be thrown into the fire. I think we want to be left. There's a great parallel passage that is used to back up the rapture uh, in Matthew 24. So I want to invite you. I want you to see this. And I think we have this on the screen as well. But go with me, Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. Look at this. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, get this. For as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, everybody say they. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Them, they, same people, right? So Jesus says, when I return, when the day of the Lord comes, what's going to happen? Somebody, somebody's going to be taken away, right? And he says, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. Well, let me ask you this. In the days of Noah, by our text here, and if you know the, you know, the, the story of Noah in Genesis, you're, this is pretty clear. Who remained on the earth alive? Noah. He was saved. Who was taken away in the waters of judgment? The wicked. All right. Well, let's continue in the the text here. Matthew 24. So it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Which one is taken? It's like in the days of Noah. It'll be the wicked who are taken. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this... And if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And so I could be wrong. I don't think I am. Um, And many theologians now are are saying, listen, this idea of a rapture, um, man, this is brand new. And it just doesn't seem, if you know kind of Greek and Hebrew, like particularly Greek, it just doesn't seem to be what the Bible teaches. And, and the only reason I bring that out is because we're longing for the return of the Lord, right? And man, I'm okay if the Lord, if there is a rapture. Like, I'd be all right with being wrong. But the whole point of Revelation, we're going through it verse by verse on Wednesday. The whole point of Revelation, is God is telling the church to endure tribulation, not how to escape it. He says, some of you are going to be killed. Some of you are not going to be able to buy or sell. If you don't worship the beast, the enemy, false gods. So I want you in, to endure to the end. So something to think about. But I think this is important because guys, again, to go back to where I was in the beginning. We've bought into this idea that the world is bad and our goal is to get out of here. God's creation is good. It's been tainted by sin But God is going to come back and he's going to do away with, he's going to throw into judgment those who do not know him. But you and I will spend eternity on the new, in the new heavens and new earth. It'll be a new and better Eden. That's what Revelation teaches. Just like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, this place called paradise. 
That's what's coming for us. And so let me just read you the final verse here. Nobody's mad at me, right? All right, good. Matthew 13, 43. The righteous will shine like the sun. So remember the wicked, what's going to happen to them? This is imagery. They're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace, right? But the righteous will shine like the sun of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So right now we're having to deal with sin and sickness. Because the kingdom is already and not yet. There are people who teach, listen, if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. You never have to deal with stuff. If, if you do, it's your faith. That's not what the Bible teaches. The, the, the kingdom has not yet been consummated. We believe in healing and all those things, but there's mystery to all of that. But one day, hallelujah, Christ will return and there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more grief. The righteous are going to shine like the sun. This finds, this echoes Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, this prophecy which reads, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the promise of the resurrected glory of God's people. The end will bring sorrow and pain for the unrighteous. But friends, this is great news for us. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. I don't think the, the only reason to get saved is to, so that you won't go to hell. Like, okay, I don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell, I hope. If you're saying you don't. I've heard that used as the reason you should be saved. No, the reason you should be saved is because Christ is unbelievably generous and glorious and wonderful. And if you know him one day, you will shine like the sun. We were created to be God's image bearers, remember? But that image has been tainted by sin. And already, Romans 8 says, we who are in Christ, that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. That image is being restored. And when he returns, the image will be perf perfected. And we shall uh, live the way that we were designed to live, perfectly and holy and in relationship with God. No more sin. No more sorrow. Every tear wiped from our eyes. So if you're here today and you have not giving your life to Christ you're watching online perhaps today I invite you to be a son or daughter of the kingdom <laughs> so that one day your face will shine like the sun and even now you can be part of that new humanity it's a glorious thing the Lord has been patient he's given you this day but none of us are promised tomorrow and the Lord truly could come back today my fear is, beloved, that there are many religious people in this church who are like, like the parable, they, they look a lot like wheat. The stems look the same, but in the end, we'll find out that they're different. Like Jesus said in Matthew 7. That's a sobering passage, isn't it? And my goal is not to make any true believer doubt his or her salvation. Goodness gracious. 
but I see a lot of people playing church. <laughs> you, you, you hear people, you see people raise their hands, and this is not just in this church, but all over. You, you see people raise their hands and worship and cry and take notes and all this, and then you go look at their Facebook. Or you hear about what they're doing at work, the way they talk, the, you, you know, I, I mean, all these things. And it's clear the Lord is not truly Lord of their lives. St. Augustine said this, quote, those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow, end quote. <laughs> so I would just say to you, why stay a weed? Turn from your sin, turn to Christ today, trust in him alone today to save you from the judgment to come and save you to the glories that are unspeakable. <laughs> Amen? So while it's today, my cry, my plea with you is to quit playing church and repent and come to the Lord Jesus. And I trust that the majority of, of us today are truly saved. And I pray that we would endure to the end. We're going to have to endure suffering. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But thank the Lord He is able to keep us from falling. And our prayer is, is that He would continue to hold us fast. And I want to remind you that we are to look ahead to our inheritance, which Peter says is imperishable. <laughs> it will last for all eternity. I know it's tough right now to live as a believer, so counterculturally, even in this country now. But friend, it will be worth it in the end. May we be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. May we live for His glory, by His grace, by His Spirit, with His help, together, so that one day our faces will shine like the sun and we will rejoice and have more joy than we could ever imagine for all of eternity stand with me let's pray God in the mighty name of Jesus we thank you for your goodness we thank you God that though we have to grow together with the sons of Satan the daughters of Satan God we thank you that you have given us influence that you have given us power that you have given us strength and Lord right now we just pray that if there's one in here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that, that maybe has been on the brink of salvation but have not yet committed, we thank you that you've given them another day of breath. May today be the day that they profess you as Lord, give their lives wholeheartedly to you. May they follow you in believer's baptism, we ask. May they live for you all the days of their lives. For those of us who are saved already, we Help us to glory and revel in your salvation. Restore in us the joy of your salvation as David prayed in Psalm 51. Let us be glad that you're with us now by your spirit. And Lord, let us look ahead with great anticipation. And we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray it in that name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.